Okay, now I recognize you. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well, yeah, well, we met at the SCU, and I think we just shook hands and said hi, and that was about it. Exactly. We Do you also remember talking to Kevin Knuth? If you, yes. Oh, I, no, you weren't there. Yeah, yeah, you were, but we didn't talk to him together. Remember, no, no, remember. we talked to him quite a lot. I had him on my show, and we talked about the... Um, oh, that's great. Yeah, we talked about the uh, relativistic travel. And it's funny because I still hear physicists talking about, well, we can't get there. It takes too long. It's like, but that's not ship time. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, yeah. And then their thing is like, well, then everybody will be dead. And Kevin's idea is like, well, what if you don't care about that? What if you yeah. just become a spacefaring race? Then it doesn't really matter, does it? No, you it know? doesn't. Exactly. And, and as he said, you know, like some of the UAPs we're seeing, it could have been a couple of days for them and it could have been thousands of years for us. Yeah. Exactly, because it wouldn't matter to them. Um, Although the caveat is that the second they stop, they're screwed. (laughs) Oh, yeah, in in terms of aging and all that, or what? Exactly. So the thing about biological and any physical mechanism, that you will immediately get hit with, as soon as you stop traveling relativistically, your body will just get squashed, uh, your... It will be re un- it will calibrate with space time, which is not a good thing because if you've been running away from space time too long, it catches up. So ah, we uh, didn't talk but, about that. Yeah, uh, it's not a. I mean, it's a. You have to be a. I think a physicist to know that. Like you will die if you just stop traveling at relativistic speeds. Even in a deceleration over, like yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah, because yeah, he said, look, I'm assuming a lot of things here, and that's probably the one. See, one of the things he was assuming that you would get over that problem somehow with some kind of physics we're not aware of yet. Exactly, that's possible. But right now, for us, we would be our body would go into shock and we would just die. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we 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 didn't talk about that at all. If you look at what happened with quantum physics before that, right? We had. All these metaphysics idea, like let's say, I, I would say alchemy isn't even metaphysical, but you had alchemy. That yeah. was our idea of the quantum world. And then you finally had real quantum science. And now we don't bother using the word alchemy. Right, exactly. Well, alchemy was, to me, alchemy was, well, of course, everybody knows it's a stepping stone to to chemistry and other sciences. But it was also <laughs> what people considered science then. And it, it right. wasn't just material science. It had to do with the person's um, the person's spiritual li- life, their personality, their own personal discovery, all this stuff, which I think is coming back in some way. Uh-huh. Yeah. So maybe yeah, we're- I think you're right. I think uh, <laughs> which is weird, eh? Because like we had about we you know we enjoyed our hundred years of atheism or something like yeah. in the modern world. Yeah. And it looks like that's starting to change. Yeah, I think so. Um, the thing you just put up on Twitter, which I thought was right. really oh, brave you of that? you. Yeah, yeah, I read it. I read the whole thing. I was like, oh, okay, now I understand what's going on. And it comes you talking about that totally, not totally, but it really gave me a perspective as to where you were coming from instead of just like, okay, I jumped into this and I'm interested. Because right, right. that's their yeah, idea. Right. It's like, where the hell did this guy, this guy come from? It's like, uh, uh-huh. he got smacked upside the head. That's where he came from. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, didn't get a, I wasn't given a choice. You know what I mean? This was, uh, yeah. It's yeah. not being a passive interest pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. Well, that might actually be part of the interview, but I, I won't include it. Usually, I'd be happy to touch a little bit on it. Uh, I don't want to go te- too deep into it, but I mean, yeah, we might as well. Yeah, we don't we don't have to. I mean, you, you announced it publicly, so I figured it was fair game, sort of. Yeah, I mean, as, as much as you want to go, I do not push people. I do yeah. not want to scandalize them. I want to talk about ideas. That's what I, I do on my it. show. 
you know, yeah, and, and I know people that do that. And, and, and I've heard so many good things about you, by the way. So it's really uh, from who? From Dave, Dave Waltman, for example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dave's kind of a fan. That was nice of him. Yeah. I'm just like you. I mean, people are like, did you listen to this? Did you watch this? It's like I'm producing content. I'm doing things. I'm trying to write a book. Um, oh, right on. Yeah. I have a, well, I have a good feeling about this for what it's worth. Yeah, I did too. At first, I was kind of like, I don't know who to talk to this guy. Where did he come from? Come from? And as I learned more and read more of your stuff, it's like, you know what? I really do want to talk to him. That's awesome. I because it. this stuff is moving into the future, and some people don't like it, you know. But too bad for them. Yeah. Um. Fair. <laughs> Adapt or die. I mean, it's the real nature. No, the the whole extraterrestrial thing is not uh, not a viable solution to this. We we need to go. F- through a turning point in the study of of this whole domain, away from ideology, we're not here to prove that we're being visited by, you know, aliens from this planet or that star. That may very well be true, but we have not done the basic work. I have this hunch that the um, that this that this phenomenon is um, comes from, comes from some sort of domain of pure information. And the fact that it can interact with us at all suggests that uh, that we inhabit the domain. It's also pure information. Are we uh, go conditioned here? Yes. interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso? I just wrote this up this morning. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Deep Prasad is CEO of Reactive Q, which is researching ways of using the emergency. Blah. Take two, the emerging field of quantum computing to accelerate material science, or at least yep. research into material science. Yep. Um, in February of, uh, of 2019, he had a profound experience, which he only just tweeted today, and which yeah. we'll talk about a little bit on the show. Um, he's also one of the forces behind the UAP, UAP pattern detection expedition, which we'll talk about as well. It's being planned for next year. And 
the expedition will attempt to, and tell me if I'm wrong here, attempt to attract, engage with, and record any data on any UAP or UFO activity that is encountered. You got it. Perfect. Because yeah. I've talked to um, Kevin. Kevin a bit. I've talked yep. to I talked to Kevin actually at the um, UFO Congress. He was oh, sitting right there on. by himself at his booth when I got there, just kind of looking down at his book with his name, like Kevin Kevin Day, booth number whatever. No signs, <laughs> no no bling, no nothing. That sounds like Kevin. <laughs> yeah, and I just walked up to him and I was like, hey, Kevin Day. And he's like, yes. And I ended up talking to him for like half an hour. People don't know, and it's kind of hard to find online. I mean, as there's some stuff on Facebook. Um, as much of my introduction as I could give, maybe you could give more of an introduction of sort of your background, how you got to where you are, what your yeah. degree is in, what Reactive Q does, and a little bit more, you know, and you know, and how this interest, your new interest, not new interest, but relatively new interest in the UFO subject um, interfaces with it. Sure, um, that's a it's a great question because it everything you know circles around and kind of connects in the end of the day, um, yeah. especially like where we are at today. Um, but essentially, my background was initially in electrical engineering. And then after two years, uh, I ended up switching into industrial engineering because I preferred sort of the software computational mathematical route. Um, industrial engineering is strictly trying to describe and optimize systems. Uh, there's also a human factors component. So um, I started specializing that in that, and I got really interested in the AI side of things. So that's where I started building my experience in. And eventually, I ended up getting an internship at Royal Bank of Canada, as Canada's biggest bank, as a um, developer for artificial intelligence. Um, and as an intern, we I ended up filing the most patents in the history of that, like all of Eastern Canada for RBC. And um, they gave me a really nice job offer, like a return offer uh, based, assuming that I would finish my last year of university. So here's the thing though, during my last year of university, I became extra obsessed with quantum mechanics. I don't know what came over me, but it just became such a like, it almost became a toxic obsession to the sense, uh, to the point that I almost failed my last year, but I did not, luckily. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have lost. I'm reading on this important stuff. Screw material science. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, like, by the, it's funny because your fourth year engineering classes, it's all just, you know, routine stuff. It's not, a, it's, it's not intellectually taxing. It's just tedious. And yeah, you got, uh, it's, it's soaking up information and background and, it, and history. Yeah. You got it. That's absolutely what it is. Uh, and so, um, so what I ended up doing was I contacted what's called the Perimeter Institute for Theoretical Physics because I had to do this podcast for my science communication class. It was like an elective that you get to take. Mm. And um, I wanted to do a topic on quantum mechanics and artificial intelligence because that was my field, right? And my yeah. interest. I wanted to see, is there an intersection? Does anybody work on this? Uh, and so um, Waterloo, like the Perimeter Institute, recommended somebody he ended up being one of the world's best physicists, um, period, at, at the moment. Um, and he was like, he was amazing. Like, we, our interview was great. I asked him, I got to learn a lot about quantum computing and the math side and the technicals. And for some reason, like, I, I've, he's, he, thought, he thought that my motivation was motivating and he felt that, like, I needed to apply, um, you know, my, I guess, talent that he perceived onto quantum computing. So he recommended that I apply to the world's first quantum computing incubator, where he was a lecturer at the year before. And so this quantum computing incubator came out of the University of Toronto, and they spent five years putting together this incubator. They made uh, the right partnerships with 
all the quantum hardware providers. There's only a couple in the world. Um, they incubator are, meaning basically think idea think tank kind of thing for the subject. Um, yeah. or actual application. Uh, application. Yeah. Oh, okay. so, so, so we're dealing. So what an incubator does in this case is they will take in this case, uh, the one that I got into, they took 40 scientists around the world every year. Um, and what they would do is each scientist or group of scientists could start a company. And if your company passes the boot camp, the quantum boot camp, it passes all the checks and stuff like that. You get to start a company where your starting valuation is $1.7 million Canadian, and you get 100K in funding from Bloomberg Beta uh, and some other big uh, VC firms out of Silicon Valley. So I met, so, so like, let's take one more step back. I've now finished university, and I've taken up my job offer at RBC as the head of their artificial intelligence division for wealth management. Um, and the, and that was, that was a, interesting job on the surface um but after four days uh i quit like i i quit on the day, i quit on the day that the application to this incubator was due because my heart was set on quantum machine learning uh at this point and quantum mechanics and i just couldn't justify you know working at this slow moving bank you know yeah i mean any it, it would now. yeah it would, it's it would suck all your creativity out of you you got it. Very few people can relate. You know, there's a, but that's awesome. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I know exactly about having your creativity sucked out of you. I don't have, I don't have time or the mental energy to, to mess with stuff that's not important. It's just, why live? Yeah. yeah I love that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that comes from passion right yeah. on. So, so, um, so yeah, that's, so I, yeah, I, I left that day. I didn't tell my parents because I didn't want to get distracted. <laughs> I needed to finish the application. And, uh, yeah, um, it, three months later, I managed to get in through, like, you know, just hard work. Oh, so you I quit not back. knowing whether you were in or not? No, yeah. I, wow. I, it took three months before I, I really Yeah, good, good on you for that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so, the, I mean, like, the, the biggest risk was that this program only took people with a master's in physics or a uh, PhD in physics. Uh, they made very few exceptions for undergrads, and I was just one of them. Um, and so once you get into this program, they teach you, they spend like hundreds of thousands of dollars training each person on how to use these quantum computers, each kind, how quantum mechanics, uh, you know, operates here, how, how we use it, all, yeah, everything. How, how, the, so, how they work, which we might get into a little bit because I need to understand that's like superposition of states and all that, but go ahead. I would love to explain that. Sure. So, so yeah, that's, uh, so we, we, um, you know, we go through the boot camp and then we have to come up with applications, how to commercialize this product. And so I was super uh, obsessed by this point with also superconductors because uh, superconductors are very fascinating uh, in itself. And the cool thing about quantum computing is that you can discover algorithmically all these materials without having to scientifically run these trials uh, after a while. So once you have a good enough quantum computer, we won't need to do any yeah. engineering in the lab, so to speak. Yeah, so you, you'll have a quantum computing Tesla brain that can run things before they're made. Hundred percent. That's exactly. <laughs> it. And so that leaves the, the model them. I mean, of yeah. the engineer. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> but but you never know, right? Like uh, I've uh, I, I'm trying to, and uh, my you know the mentor that I said who like recommended me to go to this program. Yeah. We've been hypothesizing and working uh, on this concept of like just replacing physicists with quantum computing AIs, we do think that is what's going to happen one day. So like, uh, how does a physicist get job security in those days? Like you start moving, <laughs> you're you going to put all the truckers and all the, all the physicists out of work. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> now there's nothing left. <laughs> no. So I think that at that point, um, the it will be interesting where what humans will have left to offer. And I think what will they'll have left to offer is philosophy and understanding uh, the deeper nature of reality. Intuition. Um, right. In- intuition is a big thing, too. Absolutely. Uh, I don't because, think you can AI intuition. I don't know. Man, there might be arguments against that. but Well, we don't know until we know, right? And That's true, until it's actually modeled up to that uh, level. True. But the intuition, intuition might be wacky, like the, you know, the Google, um, whatever the one where they like take things and they try to make, where it, yep. where it guesses things, your elbows or dog noses and stuff. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. Uh, so, so, yeah, I started... Um, I went to, you know, all these big companies like Tesla, Lockheed, uh, NASA, and I spoke with all the engineers there and just try to understand their problems. Mm-hmm. And do in so doing so, I found specific kinds of physics problems where we could actually apply machine learning and quantum computing to accelerate them, like such as computational fluid dynamics. So what we right. do now is we kind of just like act as a, a quantum consulting service, but we also are developing um, products that are yeah that are both machine learning software based and very recently we've started delving into building our own hardware so potentially quantum radars and helping with building better quantum computers what's a quantum radar if you if you can give me a short explanation sure sure uh yeah no problem so uh with typical classical radars the ones we have today you're beaming out bursts of photons uh you're you're just beaming out all these um em waves in general yeah uh, and seeing what gets reflected back physically yeah Right. So now with a quantum radar, you only need a couple uh, particles to, to deflect off of something, and then you can pick it up. So the beauty of this is that, um, for example, you'll have certain signals with normal radars that get drowned out in the background noise. But when you have entangled photons or whatever particle you decide to use. Yeah, you can't, you, can't, um, you, you can't intercept that. You yeah, you can't intercept that for the most part. There's always a classical uh, pipeline. For, mm, um, yeah, okay. The, yeah. And so that can be intercepted. Um, but so, yeah, so go. Yeah, so, for it to work, I guess there needs to be some classical pipeline, or it's just not going to, it's going to be, it'll be a potential. A, <laughs> you got it. Unless, unless, and this is just, uh, I, I'm writing a paper on this actually as we speak. Unless you can quantize yourself, then you don't need to, if you can make yourself part of the system. You don't need to classically read out anything. So, yeah. Ah, yeah. Well, that would, that, that would involve that some would sort of biohacking or something, maybe. Certainly. Exactly. Essentially what would, what would have to do is like the, it would be like the stereotype way of people, uh, teleportation that people currently imagine where I have to deconstruct and, uh, decohere your quantum state, let's say, or just capture classically your quantum information Yeah. and use quantum. Yeah. Uh, sensors and everything to read all your data and then convert it into this one big, uh, let's say, set of qubits that represent Greg. Yeah. Um, and then now I can send that anywhere. That's right. So you could probably send it to the other side of the universe, although you would have to know where it yeah. was going. Well, I don't know. I guess it wouldn't yeah. really matter. You would just have to imagine where it was going to be, and I guess it would just go there. Um, if you built the technology, right, like if you were maybe in a million years from now, you could probably do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, then maybe we can talk about that in relationship to some of the uh, UFO stuff. Right, um, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, just one more to uh, bore the audience and excite me. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out exactly how quantum computing, computing works right now. 
meaning what is the idea behind it and how far has it gotten in a practical way? Because two or three years when I first started talking about it and talking about it in lectures, barely understanding what was going on, they had just started to make like really simple ones. But I think it's advanced far, well, at least quite a bit beyond that at this point. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah. Um, So essentially, like just going back to uh, the idea of classical computers versus quantum computers, think about it this way or the motivation. Um, You can always have when you when you want to describe a bunch of, let's say, entangled electron spins. Right. Right. So like uh, what? So the relationship between these entangled, perfectly entangled electrons or any entangled, um, you know, quantum state. Will, it will represent what's called two to the n amount of classical states. So let's say I have like let's um, ten qubits just for the sake of the example, and I entangled all ten qubits together to represent that classically. That's two to the ten uh, classical states that I would have to use to represent what's the equivalent of ten qubits. Now consider this: if I so that, and people to, have to know a, a qubit is a is basically a unit of um, computation in a, a quantum computer. Exactly. Exactly. You got it. So yeah. that exactly. So the typical unit of computation is the binary, right? Like bit, bit, right? Yeah. So yeah. So it'll be zero or one. Um, and so, so one thing actually, before we go further, is let me just describe and uh, what superposition truly means, because I, oftentimes it tends to sure. So uh, let's go with the typical cat in the bat box example because it's the most abuse everybody box. knows the schrodinger's yeah <laughs> right right and so so people will say the cat is dead and alive basically when something is in superposition you are not measuring it it's undisturbed from the environment and it's in a coherent state uh and so you want your quantum state to be undisturbed right so that's that was a whole uh cat in a boxing if you haven't measured it but and so let's say you haven't opened the box you have not made a measurement on your cat um, and people will say, oh, it's both dead and alive. That's not true. It's in a superposition of dead and alive. So what that means physically is um, the cat is not dead. The cat is not alive. It's not both dead and alive. And it's not dead, not alive. So those are your four only logical options right. that you can have with this cat. Mm-hmm. And it's none of them. So it's and so what it really is is a superposition of them, and all yeah. that means from a physicist's perspective is we have no idea what's going on in the under the hood. So, but we know how we can describe it mathematically. Yeah. And which uh, in a superposition, this case is just a linear combination. Uh, it's a linear combination of cat vectors in the Hilbert space. So, it, it's like yeah, these uh, complex vectors, and you can just keep stacking them and entangle them and you know your dimension keeps increasing but the uh, the point though with the whole cat but you still haven't measured it no yeah exactly once you measure it uh you'll have one of all that collapses uh, yeah yeah all that collapses and you'll get some sort of measurement so the cat will be alive or you'll see it as dead but so that's a that's a fantastic thing though about quantum computing is that uh and quantum mechanics in general is that there is no logical way of describing the state of the cat Right. Like mm-hmm. in our, you have no physical way of describing it. We can only do it, you know, through this construct. Uh, and so we rely on that. So when you have when you're when something is in superposition, you know, it means it's in its quantum state. Like you said, it hasn't been measured. And so you can keep connecting and entangling all these qubits together mm. to get this extra like, uh, you know, dimensionality of information, uh, the relationship that you just couldn't define classically. If you just made measurements, they would act individually. But when they're 
not being observed, they're acting as one, right? And you get all this extra information yeah. uh, from. So, so what the qubit does is rather than taking a bit um, or a, a, yeah, just taking a bit, which could be represented, let's say, by voltage, what you would do is you would get in this in the case of say D wave, you would get these superconducting wires, and once you fire and you uh, magnetize the superconducting uh, wires, what will happen is that. Once it's like because it's superconducting, we know that it's cold enough, right? You'll co- cool it to a few millikelvin. You'll get this um, superposition. So if you fire the, if you pulse the right magnetic pulses, you can actually connect and entangle your superconducting um, wires. And so now their EM fields are completely correlated and strongly correlated. And so you can couple a few of these qubits together. Um, the first, uh, the sorry, the last, the second last D-Wave machine, for example, let's D-Wave's connect- a quantum computing company. If people don't know this, my bad. Yes, <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> they're the uh, fun, fun, fun fact. Uh, D-Wave is the world's first quantum computing company, and they come out of Toronto. I mean, sorry, uh, Burnaby, and uh, they um, have been around for twenty years. So they've had at least a twelve-year head start on everybody else in the space. So they, although they don't necessarily allow for universal com- computation, they can still process quantum information uh, mm-hmm. in a different way. So, uh, but yeah, so with the D wave, uh, these superconducting qubits, they had six that could be entangled together. Um, that was the max. And after that, the entanglement will break. And so they weren't able to go further. Now they have a connectivity of 15. So you can have 15 of these qubits uh, connected together at one point at, at, at the same which time. Which all have how, however many superpositions going on in them, which is like so astronomical. It would, be, it would be 2 to the 15. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And so the beauty is like, and this is why like, I like to use caffeine um, or any small mo- any molecule over, let's say, 60 with more than 60 electrons that are uh, entangled. Mm-hmm. Uh, two to the if, if I had 60 qubits, for example, to represent those 60 electrons, I could do it. It's one one to one relation. That's perfect. But if I wanted to use a classical computer to represent those relationships between the sixty entangled electrons, uh, I would need two to the sixty classical bits or classical states. And guess what? There's only two to the fifty five atoms that make a planet Earth. So even if I turned all of the Earth into a supercomputer, it wouldn't be able to model uh, just sixty of these qubits or sixty mm-hmm. entangled electrons, uh-huh. um, which is smaller than than caffeine. So, uh, so that's the beauty of quantum computers. That's what quantum computers do. They get to, they leverage this quantum nature of the universe to represent quantum behaviors, like quantum systems, like superconductors, the human body, uh, you name it. Everything in the end of the day uh, is quantum. And then we just observe the classical version of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm going to be selfish again. Um, part of the thing I'm working on has to do with information theory. And awesome. the, yeah, and not the classical information theory like described the in the fifties about yeah about loss of information in a system, but um, yeah the 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 idea that the the base of everything reality is made up of information it's it's only brought into existence by our observation of it. I guess that's a rough way of putting it. At least that's how I understand um, John Wheeler described it when he was talking about the and uh, uni- what was it called the, the universal? Multiverse? No, he was calling it the universal anthropic principle. Right. Right. Yeah. So that that is interesting me right now because I think it has um incredible applications to what we're talking about when we talk about a uh, a strange experience because as one scientist described me he says look if you're looking at the universe as a classical system of 
of particles. This stuff is very weird and it's kind of weird for it to happen to you. But if you're looking at it as an informational universe, it's totally normal to have what we think of as weird stuff happen to us. It's true. I I agree. I mean, my favorite example is when, uh, for example, experiencers report moving through walls, being transported Mm -hmm. walls. Right. And roofs. So one thing about um, uh, about quantum computing and quantum mechanics is that there's a phenomenon called quantum tunneling. So if you you can have these physical, very real objects like electrons go straight through a wall as if the wall was never there. It it would it would be impossible to do it with a physical ball, right? If I threw a physical ball at the wall, it would just bounce off. But if I have with some certain probability, I can actually just you know t- uh, just transfer these electrons through the wall, and it's called like I said, quantum tunneling. Mm. So if you can do that to a bigger quantum system like the human body, it's not far-fetched at all to imagine that somebody could get quantum tunneled through their own ceiling. Right, exactly. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to me too that, that, you know, we can apply this stuff to weird experience because that becomes, you, you know, people can start to understand it in a way that is not what? is not uh, mystical, but that we used to call mystical, and exactly. that it will um, it, be, it may become commonplace to even think about these things in these ways. And then, and that way we can maybe move towards, maybe more towards what this is, where it comes from, who might be doing it, what intelligence is behind it, and what, right. what, what that intelligence understands about reality. Um, Absolutely. And I think that's what um, you're doing. I think that's what um, uh, TTSA is doing for their part, although they don't talk right. about it too much. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, and a lot of people who are not talking about it very much. That's actually a question I had for you. Given that, you know, you announced that you're interested in this and the kind of people you know and the blowback you get from it, um, right. which I'm sure you have. Um, from oh, Absolutely. How do you move forward with it? What do you? Oh, that wasn't it. That wasn't the, the question. Was why are you doing it publicly? Uh, that's a great question because there's a uh, lot of people I know of that are not doing it publicly. Yeah, or semi. Yeah. You know, like right. Ty, like Tyler from um, Diana Pasolka's book. He's like semi public about it. Absolutely, uh, that's a great question. Um, so some these men are from. They have even more to lose than me. Like I, I get to play the kid card. I like. <laughs> You know, I honestly, that's one of the biggest things. Like, you know, like all right, this they just see me as weird at most. Uh, it's not like like oh, he'll like, grow out of it. Yeah. That's exactly it. That is exactly it. They're like whatever. Like he he's naive. Like that's and then they just cast it off. And so uh, there are some people who tend tend to show more intellectual contempt. You know, like some I won't name them, but have had certain colleagues. You know, uh, try to pull this uh, typical debunker type of role. Um, and say and trying to use that as a statement on someone's intellectual capabilities. Uh, and so, yeah. um, frankly, though, like yeah, I, you're, you're I, apparently your curiosity is something wrong with you because it's not the right kind of curiosity. That's a great way to frame it. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. Absolutely it. So, but yeah, frankly, though, like uh, if you could tell from my story of like leaving RBC, I've never bothered about people's opinions. I just do what feels right. So I wish I'd I just, done that oh, when I was my, yeah younger. I mean, you're doing it now, so it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, you know, that's a regret people have. Like, imagine not giving a shit what other people think when you're like, you know, 20. You know, I, those I, people either go that. nuts or they do incredible stuff or both. <laughs> that's fair that's fair i hope it's not the letter <laughs> no i you know i don't think so there's this weird 
I had uh, Whitley Strieber on twice now. Um, yeah. And we talked about this a little bit. We're like, you know, well, where does that discernment come in about wackiness as opposed to true things that are really, I don't know about there, but uh, you, that you can study, that you can have a handle on, but sound wacky to most people. I mean, it's this really strange state of mind that you have to be in where you're curious about the right thing. And also being able to say, well, I guess that was full of crap and I've, I'm not going to be interested anymore. And if you think I'm associated right. with that's too bad. I mean, right. how, how have you navigated that? Because it's your, your time frame for this is like the last, what, three years? Uh, last, le- less than 12 months. Uh, yeah. Mine yeah, is like the last 30 years. So. <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> right you're like a wizard <laughs> i'm not a wizard but the thing is like it seems like you're you're coming to a place where you're getting this information very quickly and your discernment yeah. is coming to a place where you're interested in what you're interested in what you think is important and whatever it is going into the future so i'm you know I was wondering how you came to that and what, you know, what is your yardstick? What is like when somebody comes to you with this totally crazy um, to most people sounding claim about something, when do you say, yeah, yeah, that, that, that one looks good. Let, let's look into it. I mean, how do you know, is it an intuitional thing or what is it? Um, it's, it's intuition and logic for sure. And tr- just trying to corroborate everything that I've learned. I'm constantly congregating different uh, sources of knowledge and just trying to see does this fit any patterns that I already know? If it yeah. doesn't, why doesn't? Why doesn't it? And then yeah. I just investigate further. Because um, I've seen your opinion imagine, go all over the place in the last couple of years. And for most people, like, right. what's wrong with him? He can't, you know, make up his mind. It's like he's making up his mind. Give him a minute. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, I, for example, uh, after, you know, the SEU conference, I came away with that thinking, Wow, like we're gonna get disclosure tomorrow. Like these guys have these crazy alien meta materials. <laughs> That's what it looks you like know, if you just walked over. in. <laughs> exactly. Go ahead. Exactly. I'm sorry. And now after all my investigation, you know, I've actually met some scientists who haven't published the results yet, but they actually analyzed this uh, these meta materials. Uh, at least the Linda Mel- Moulton Howe part. Um, and you know, he's a very very prominent scientist. Uh, he has over a hundred million dollars in lab equipment. Um, so and he wasn't able to replicate the material, but he was also able to show scientifically that they're not metamaterials right now. Like I could, I could just see right straight ahead that there's no reason to call them metamaterials just yet okay. or waveguides. Mm-hmm. So then I realized, okay, wow, um, this is not as easy as I thought it was going to be. Like this is not yeah. nearly as cool. Um, and so I made that public, right? Like I actually made like a very long tweet thread, uh, critically, but positively, uh, giving feedback to TTSA that, it was way too early to call these things metamaterials. And uh, I think that there's something more going on. I think that now I think that, you know, they have good intentions, but I believe that we are still being distracted overall, Uh, that there's a lot bigger things, bigger fish to be frying that, you know, people don't want us to be frying. I know what you're saying. Could you elaborate? Sure. Uh, Yeah, sure. (laughs) At least I think I know what you're saying. I want to make sure I know what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. No worries. Um, so, for example, let's take uh, let's take the idea that there's you know a couple pieces of metal somewhere, right? They came from a magic UFO. It's not. I've tried. I have literally gone to the world's best scientists, presenting them some of the evidence that did, uh, you know, indicate anomalous, you know, uh, 
almost impossible engineering, and it barely swayed them, if at all. They said that this could still have been engineered by somebody else. You know, the you'll be surprised. Like I will not name them, but these are world famous scientists who just hand wave it all. They don't care. Even if you scientifically present a strong case, does not matter. Without an alien body, without a literal fully functioning craft, nobody, not even the world's best scientists, will believe. It's that. not going to conform to that model. I'm sorry to say, but go ahead. Absolutely. No, I I agree. Um, and and here's the thing. Even if we uh, um, even if we do do that, you know, there will always be somebody who will try to debunk it. Uh, assume you can't even find this fully functioning craft, uh, which might, might not even exist, right? Like it could all just be a giant psyop still until one of us has seen one. Um, though I don't, for what it's worth, I don't think that's the case. I do think there is, uh, some, something, but, um, with that being said, I realize that like, okay, if like TTSA should know or somebody should have realized years ago, it shouldn't have taken me to find out the hard way that metamaterials is not going to force disclosure. So why is there so much you know, emphasis on it? And so then I started thinking, are we being distracted? And if so, from what? What is the bigger fish to fry? Uh, and then I realized, um, and you know, I'll reference something because now it's out in the public, uh, Chris Mellon's recent document that he posted, um, it's like an 18-pager, on, um, I don't know if you read it, but he highlighted different databases that we can mine for anomalous. Uh, yes, I, I didn't read it, but I heard about. It. That's not the one where, where he. No, this was a while back. He ended one, and it sounded like your statement about the curiosity. Uh, what did you say, curiosity? Right, uh, as the time. The future, be, yeah, but you said uh, curious. Cur the future belongs to the curious, and Chris said something like the future belongs to the bold. Meaning, if oh, we wow. make fun of this, it'll pass us by. If yeah. we if we look at it closely and see what there might be there, maybe we can right. glean something out of it, even though it's not going to fit in with one of our whatever our conceptions are, preconceptions are. Exactly, absolutely. Um, and well, go ahead with go ahead with about his um, his latest one about the different sources of information and uh, sourcing them together so that we got a better picture. Yeah. So he says a few things that I think are huge. Uh, you can say breadcrumbs or Easter eggs. Like for example, he says we could theoretically uh, find bases uh and origins right um so that's something that nobody is talking about which is um where are these bases like what why are we not trying harder to prove the physical origin of these experiences um and of these craft because it's clear that there is something physical right we can argue whether it's you know a hologram or whatever yeah but it, it leaves physical traces occasionally Absolutely. Absolutely. And it gives very physical, real radar returns, right? I mean, right. obviously, all of that could be spoofed and the visual could be spoofed. But it's just like, you can explain away anything at that point, right? I could explain away me talking to you and say that I'm actually just hallucinating. Like, don't ask me questions. Uh, I could just assert that. And um, so with, um, with, the, with, the, with the idea of this base and stuff, now that's interesting, because that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, if you're going to come all the way here, you're not going to fly back to Alpha Centauri for dinner, right? Like, if you're here, you're here. You're going to need to find a place to stay. And yet, that is never, ever emphasized. That's It's like uh, abductees and people like that kind of just throw up their hands and say, all right, we have no idea where they are. They're ethereal, ephemeral beings, interdimensional. And then they just leave it at that. And uh, nobody bothers correcting us. Nobody is telling us where to look. Uh, and that's what I think needs to change It's part of why we do UAP expeditions, right? Uh, if we can find just one base on the planet somewhere or off planet on, um, 
you know, we would, whoever discovers it would probably obviously change the world forever. But, uh, yeah, so that's why, that's why I think we're being distracted about. That's the big fish to fry, finding the physical origin of these experiences. Okay. Yeah. The, the, see, I, uh, my friends and I have discussed for a long time, um, since this has been around as long as there's probably been recorded history. Right. You know, what is going on there? And I, I think it's, we keep seeing something that impinges into our reality in a way that's explained that, you know, this is Jacques Vallée's idea, but explained yeah. at the time that it happened in their, me, in their right. metaphors and their language. Now, uh-huh. to, to my mind, either that means there's something that's been coming here for a long time and has bases and all whatever you, whatever you're yep. saying here, or, it's yep. connected to us intimately in some way that is intimately correct, connected to the, the physical reality of this planet and our development. Um, uh, absolutely. And, and you know, like, uh, uh, yeah, the, the data meaning, meaning it's slightly, it's a slight non ETH, uh, uh, bent actually Agreed. sometimes total non ETH. I mean, I did a whole book with some people about basically non ETH, uh, possibilities. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I, I'm not surprised and you know, like, and we can, I'll talk a little bit about it, even from my own experience, uh, um, you know, that I post about on Twitter, like, uh, it, I, yeah, if I, somebody, I, something hits you that hard, it kind of changes your outlook, <laughs> but we'll talk yeah, about it. It changes you a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I was scratching my head. I'm like, this is, this is not an alien. Like, this is not what I, what I thought one would be like if, if this is really what I think is happening. Right. And I haven't just gone crazy. Uh, this is absolutely not following my expectations. Um, yeah. Well, maybe you should describe the, what happened a little bit first. Sure. So, so essentially, um, and this was happened, February first of this year, right? Of this year. Yeah. yeah. Of this year. So, um, at this point, and this is one. This like I booked a ticket for SU like we very shortly after this, um, and which just, was in uh, you know, what uh, April, I think. Uh, I believe it was in March. March. Okay. All right. Yep, yep. Go ahead. So, I'm sorry. Oh, very no, soon. Good. Very soon after this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so essentially just like a quick TLDR, like too long to read. Um, I was, uh, like <laughs> sending emails in my room and essentially what happens is that I feel this sort of paralysis effect. And by the way, this is nine forty in the morning. I've been up for already for more than an hour and like I put my, so this is, yeah, as you say, it's broad daylight. Yeah, it's broad daylight, and yeah. I have all my, you know, my blinds open and everything. Um, and so I'm sending emails. That this is my morning routine. Like I'll I'll spend the first hour or two just like replying to everyone and getting all the admin work out of the way so I can do more technical stuff. Um, so I put down my laptop to go get my phone, mm-hmm. um, and suddenly I feel this like paralysis effect, right? Like I I could no longer move, and I got this feeling of. Uh, you can say like of just knowing, uh, I call it instant knowing. Like I knew for whatever reason I had complete thoughts. It's weird. It's as if, imagine like you've had a conversation with a friend for one hour and then you walk away, right? You'll walk away with takeaways. Yeah. I, it's like, I got all those takeaways without the one hour conversation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. As and, you said, and, it was like almost instantaneous, but you got all this stuff. Exactly. Go ahead. Exactly. I'm that sorry. Instant knowing. No, all good. So, so I, I'm now just like, you know, like sitting like this, like on my bed with my arms like that. And I'm looking around uh, to my left. Like I can, I can barely move my head. Um, and suddenly like by the second time I scanned the room, I see a glimmer, like a, like these black um, almond shaped eyes and an outline of a white suit 
and it's very, very like shimmery. Like it, it isn't fully materialized. Um, and, and as soon as I saw that, I'm like, uh, and I'm all, I'm already thinking, what the hell? This is not happening, right? Like, yeah. I, uh, and uh, what and, what did I eat? Who's beaming stuff into my head? Whatever. Right, right. And as a technologist, I I know how pathetically behind our technology is. Like, I know that our tech can't do that. At least, there's just no way. Uh, it. There was it's the equivalent of building the UFOs we see. Somebody right. in neuroscience would have had to have been, you know, hundreds of years ahead of everyone else. Uh, right. And it would make Elon Musk look jealous, right? Elon <laughs> is like kind of like the baby version of aliens, right? He's building these neural link, he's building yep. the spacecrafts, but they're all primitive versions of the tech we see. So um with this uh so I see the glimmering and like it materializes in about the uh the duration of about a second to two seconds. There it's suddenly fully physical. It's like it's there. It's this big, voluminous white head, and it's kind of rectangular this way. Like, uh, I know that people can't see my hand motions, but it was it was deeper. Like the the it was very voluminous um, going backwards. So from the forward of the head uh, to the back of the head, that was also long um, oh, okay. as well. So it's not so it's in, that's interesting. Because, it's not like a head that you would normally see that could physically be supported by a neck, right? Oh, not at all. <laughs> no yeah. way. Uh, yeah, certainly not. Um, and the well, and the other thing was that like, and this this kind of like helped like added to me freaking out because I had it's not like I had not known about the grays, right? I was in ufology for three months. That's why I was doubting as well. I'm like, is my is my brain making it up? But one thing that did freak me out was that the level of detail on these things, like even my dream characters aren't this detailed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and and like just seeing the volume, the dimensions, all these little details about it that I've never seen anywhere. I'm like, geez, it's because even when abductees, for example, describe these beings, they draw them. It's always 2D, right? Nobody, I don't think I've ever seen a three-dimensional rendering. Um, so you would get, you would think that it's oval, like uh, from what you would expect to see, but it's not, it's not exactly like it's, so anyways, um, enough about the head though. So like it, it was a, it was one full, they were, so it was one full uniform, you know, suit and two other guys like materialized right next to it. So now there's three, like right at my bed. Uh, and at this point, uh, I'm like running and again, I'm fully awake still. Right. And my mind is just racing. Um, like I mentioned in the, in the thread, like I was running through all the options. Is this a seizure? Is this a psychosis? Like what the hell is happening right now? Um, and why can't I move? And that was the most uncomfortable part. The fact that I could not, I had no say, like I couldn't just lift my arm and wave them away or, you know, just make this all go away. Couldn't do any of that. Um, it probably so, would have stopped it because you said when you moved your head, it would change the, it would actually the image, stop the, yeah, yeah, right, right. So exactly. I could lift my head just a little bit and I would feel nauseous and my room would just flip. It would literally go like this and I could see the inside of this extremely white, organic, like high tech looking room. Uh, and as soon as I would go back down, boom, it's back. My room is there and I'm seeing these uh, holograms. It, it was very strange. I and can't so, believe you like announced this publicly. It's, it's amazing, but go ahead, please. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I, a lot of people will call me crazy um, for doing that, but it is what it is. I think if no, I bet other people will people. contact you quietly and say, look, this happened to me too. I don't want to talk about it, but let's talk. Absolutely. You I think, that, I think exactly. that, I think that's a good reason for doing what you did, but, but uh, go ahead with the rest of the, um, experience. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I really want to just, uh, give other people more voices and inspire 
others, you know, to not feel ashamed of like talking about this, because what I see in the ufology community, not in the UFO mainstream community is intellectual elitism, right? People will wait, like they'll dismiss every experience or, Oh, you're too dumb for me. But like, I dare you to say that to me, right? Like, it's just not going to work. Uh, so so it's, I, I want other, yeah, I just want to give other people confidence in a, a platform. And I also want to share data. In science, we can't progress if we're not constantly inf- exchanging information and ideas and, and doing research, right? Like, even if uh, it sounds nuts. Even if it sounds nuts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so did quantum mechanics and general relativity. It's not like, you know, it's everything has always sounded, sounded nuts to science until it didn't. So exactly. So it's so all this is going on, and these uh, whatever these things are standing in front of you, foot of your bed, and then what? So so yeah. So uh, what happens next is like I start seeing these hieroglyphs. Like imagine uh, paragraphs and sentences, and they're flipping. Like it's like right at, right ahead of them, and it's oh, like, like three dimensionally in space. Three dimensional. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there is imagine like a two dimensional projector, but they had a 3d one that projected holograms rather Mm -hmm. than the 2d that we can do. Um, and these things are flipping. They're like, it's just like flip, flip, flip. They're all the characters are in deep red, like a deep blood red. type. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they look like a, again, a marriage of Japanese and and Egyptian hieroglyphs. And, and again, like I, I was like, I was very frustrated because I didn't understand what I was seeing. I was trying to figure out if this is gobbledygook coming out from my subconscious. And if so, like why it, it was just, uh, it was interesting. But again, like the other thing that, uh, I keep mentioning is that, um, it just felt so real that I actually got scared, right? Like for the first couple of minutes of this whole experience, I'm completely freaking out and convinced that I'm going to die. Like I, that, that uh, I was wondering, yeah, well, like, it's out of everybody's it. experience outside <laughs> of it. Right, right, fair. Exactly. You just don't know. Like, even if you've read all these experiencer reports or whatever, you have no idea what they're going to do to you. Like, when you're finally in that position, yeah. you're just praying that, you know, you don't become a missing case. Like Canada Exactly. Forward. You know what? The, the closest you can get to it, and f- strangely enough, my friend Josh Cutchin told yeah. me this when he went and saw yeah. the, the eclipse. He said, imagine if you didn't know what eclipse was, and that happened, you got a total eclipse come over you. You would think you were dying and it was the end of the world. There was exactly. nothing for you to compare it with. The sun Pretty went out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's never supposed to happen. Yeah. Right. So right, you have you have nothing to cling to. So you're going, you know, what the hell? But then you had the presence of mind, you said, to kind of say, well, okay, let's just deal with this on, on its level and see what we can get out of it. Absolutely. Exactly. After a while, I kind of just relaxed, um, and, like a, a little bit and that's when things got a little a lot better actually really um i stopped it's like the more i freaked out the worse it would get so i i, I started relaxing and at this point really i was just my my fascination also took over it's not just i that i realized everything's gonna be okay it's not that i just got at this yeah it was just so intellectually distracting that i forgot my fears um and so like i started studying these things astutely like they are extremely scientific like they they seem like little scientists that's the impression i got uh the one on the right starts walking around and is doing something and i'm focusing on the one in the middle and then there's one on the left uh that's walking towards me and whenever i wouldn't focus on the symbols i would feel this like tingling feeling in my forehead to like and it would guide me towards the symbols again like Mm. uh, that was also interesting um like they yeah it's like 
but again, like because I didn't understand, you know, what it said, what they, how to translate it, it was extremely frustrating. Uh, so here, so but at this point though, there were there was a word that was flashed. And it was DNA in capitals in one of the sentences, and then I saw it again and again in those paragraphs. Um, in the midst of all these other symbols. In the midst of all these other symbols. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and uh, it's so easy to spot it, right? Cause it's in English. Uh, yeah. and so it's the only, thing <laughs> your pattern means. recognition kicks in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, Oh, finally something. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and here's the weird part. Like, uh, after the, the thing that I couldn't, it was hard to describe this on Twitter, but my consciousness at this point is getting moved around too. Like my point of view is constantly being moved. It's not always in my body, right? Like, uh, at one point, they did something where I'm now, like, they're completely gone. It's weird. This happened for only one second. And I'm, like, staring at my fridge. I'm standing up straight, like, outside of my room. And I'm looking at my fridge. And, and it's like everything had ended. And I'm completely confused. And it stops. And I'm back in where, like, I, I'm in this, like, position, right? Yeah. Where they're being the Look what we can do. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess so. That's absolutely it. Uh, I think you're right. And so... Um, so anyways, after I would say five to 10 minutes of showing these holograms and random physical images that, uh, there was only one that was, that I could recognize. And it was a three dimensional reconstruction of a wizard hat that I would wear in RuneScape. It, so, <laughs> <laughs> right? it's well, that's so something weird, that right? came out of your own consciousness. So it made fun. It made fun. It made sense to you and was a fun thing that you remembered. Maybe it was just hooking into. Here's something you recognize, so pay attention. That's absolutely it. You're, you're right. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think it was a coincidence. And I, here's my thought on this, like my guess. When I played RuneScape and I wore that wizard hat, I associated it with magic. Uh, so I figured that these guys were saying, as far as you're concerned, this is magic. <laughs> like, that, that's it. So it was like symbolic. Uh, at least that's a, that maybe I'm totally wrong, but who knows? So um, again, and the other cool thing is that it is a three-dimensional reconstruction. I've never seen a 3D reconstruction of this thing. Uh, it's always in 2D. So, yeah. so that was cool. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> eventually, the holograms also doubled because I, I, like I mentioned, they would keep you know wanting me to pay attention to them, but because I wasn't, it, I think that's what caused it to double. So there's one now just six inches away from my face uh saying and it's a different different set of symbols than the ones oh great how are you how am i supposed to integrate all this right (laughs) well i was i literally said like how the hell am i supposed to read both of this at the same time you know it was just absurd (laughs) absurd is the best way to put it and so yeah you have to have a holographic brain which i guess they don't think you have or they think you have or they think you can handle or who knows yeah right right it it's that's the trouble with trying to understand advanced intelligence, right? It could just be trolling us for all we know. Uh, <laughs> it could be completely meaningless. I don't think it is, though, for what yeah. it's worth. But but yeah, we can't rule that out. And so uh, eventually, the guy, the the let's say gray on the left, even though there was nothing gray about them, um, it kind of like jumps up slowly, uh, like it's it rises slowly as if like the gravitational acceler- acceleration was lower for it. And it slowly falls on top and it starts on top of you on top. Yeah. On top of me. Like, well, technically it was on top of the bed and it was right next to my legs. Oh, it wasn't exactly on top of me. Yeah. Uh, and it starts walking, uh, towards me. Um, and so what it does is like, I feel this 
like euphoric sensation, like a bright light shows up uh, and everything is etheric. By the way, right before it does this, it does this thing where like I'm looking at it right before it jumps on my bed and part of its legs totally disappear, like some sort of invisibility cloak. Uh, like I watched it disappear. Um, and I don't actually remember what the feet look like, but yeah, the, the bottom half just disappears and these golden sparkles, very thick, start flying around all over it. And it's, and my whole like uh, visual uh, perception, visual field becomes extremely etheric, like very enhanced, very, I don't know, like a fairy, like, like, or like fantasy, like it was weird. I, I have no, I would love to recreate it with an artist someday. Uh, I would, I would want to, but, um, so yeah. And, and so at this point though, when I saw that it looked goofy, it looked so, <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty, but I'm like, this is a joke. Like I've just completely lost it. You know, like I, I literally rolled my eyes. I wasn't taking it seriously. That's the funny part. <laughs> it was such a contrast from the start when I was so scared. Um, and so it like, yeah, now it jumps up and starts moving towards me and I get this euphoric feeling and uh essentially i i i don't know i i felt so good that i just automatically start smiling and i'm just like looking at this thing and just like i'm getting uh, a stream of thoughts you know that's just going through my mind um and it's and it's these thoughts that are very i don't know what the word would be you might you might be able to help me with this but the thoughts were extremely complete, but not not good enough for me to easily verbally translate. So, mm, for example, mm -hmm. yeah. So, so that's weird, like right? if you were it's a good like, enough artist, you could communicate that in a piece of art, but in straight language, you can't communicate it yet. You got it. A absolutely, exactly. Yeah. Like when when I communicate, all my thoughts, I can translate them. Right? It's my head. It's, so it's I have no problem translating my own thoughts, just like anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> but. But in this case, uh, I just couldn't. It was it was so stupidly complex. Um, but I got the gist of it, which was like this this feeling of uh, it's very euphoric. It's this feeling that like the universe is extremely alive and well, and that it remember and it, that it's been tracking me this whole time. Like I know all this sounds weird, but it that's this is just it the sounds vibe I got. it sounds familiar actually. Fascinating. So yeah, let's we'll talk about that after. Um, yeah. But. But yeah, so I, it, it was like just, um, it was this a sudden awareness that we, we are teeming with life, that reality is completely filled to the brim and that there's more than one universe. All these things were just pumping through my head. Uh, and that it was as if, you know, it, it was, I was reminded that I've always known about this. I've always known that I would exist there. Like there's just all these weird thoughts, you know, like I said, I have a, tr I have trouble translating them to to words um but but yeah i, I think part of it is happening right now actually that's fair <laughs> yeah i'm trying to you translate know, as and speak. everything that's happened since then that's what some, something else oh l let me l i'll let you finish the story so, though how it sure. ended sure so yeah so um so finally i i'm going through this nice feeling and uh after what feels like a couple minutes i just boom i i lose consciousness uh it completely abruptly stops and like everything goes dark and I open my eyes again, like, like as soon as I could. Yeah. And I check my phone. Nothing's there, by the way, nobody's there in the room. My, everything's perfectly normal again. Uh, as if they were never there. Like there was no signature and, and I'm like breathing like very heavily and just like looking around. Like I grabbed my phone immediately and not as, like I said, not a minute had passed. 
it was so baffling mm -hmm. uh, and just so crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's um, how it ended. I, somebody asked me if there were any physical effects, like any physical or like, you know, like marks left on my body. Yeah. There were none. There was though. I did have a red eye for what it's worth for nearly three weeks. Mm. Like my, my, yeah. Uh, my right eye had like some sort of weird allergic reaction. It's never had it before. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. So, so yeah, that didn't go away for a long time. And then I obviously had these weird electrical effects, but yeah, it was weird because like, yeah, that's an old UFO thing. Witness thing is conjunctivitis in the eyes, but you weren't I like driving like, along a road at night and seeing a big UFO. This just happened in your, in your place in less in, in an instant practically. Right. Right. Yeah. It's so weird. That's, that, yeah, that is weird. Um, yeah. so, so then, and then like, yeah, the one last thing I want to touch on is the, the, psychological after effects because that was profound you know it was like i had <laughs> how I didn't could they not be, <laughs> be this person <laughs> fair enough <laughs> i like i physically could not feel fear it was just such a baffling i tried and i knew that something had changed in me i could tell like there was this was not me you know this was not my i, I did not get you know i didn't work towards enlightenment it felt like i had like literally achieved enlightenment to some extent where I knew, you know, what it felt like, or it might've felt like, mm -hmm. um, maybe it wasn't exactly what other people have, but it was like relative to me, like relative yeah. to the person I was before. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I had like an entirely, a lot of this is very subjective. We'll get into that later too. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, over the, you know, the next few weeks, this feeling finally died off. But like I mentioned, I can, if I try, I can go back to that state. And remember that everything's like, you know, this is, there's nothing to be taken too seriously. Like that was one of my favorite takeaways. It's just, this is all one big matrix we made. Like that yeah. was a, yeah, it's just for fun. Like it was never meant to be taken too seriously. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, you know, the, the a hundred, thanks for sharing that. That's amazing. And in fact, that might That's be the awesome. first time you shared it in that, that detail. Cause I think you just tweeted this, what, yesterday or today? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, so many questions come to mind, like why you have you, you know, a friend of mine saw your uh, the tweet and said, um, has he considered that this might not be what we know as aliens? But as you describe this to me, it sounds like you don't think that you don't think that's the model for it. That's just one no. of them, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. You it think you, that you work. think it's another intelligence that's interacting with us, but if you just to call them aliens, and you said this in the in the recent medium piece that yeah. I don't think it's literal aliens, but it's sometimes maybe like that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I don't think we have any good enough words for it. Ultra terrestrial, interdimensional, nothing is good enough just yet. Yeah, you kind of have to go through it, and many people have. And yeah, and that was the other question. Why do you think you? No idea. Uh, I think I have some idea. Like, um, it's just a guess. You know, it's hard to say why me without trying to sound self-important or self-aggrandizing or whatever. Don't worry right? about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, like, if I had to guess, like, if they are, if Jacques Vallée is right, which I think he is, that there's something trying to guide our culture, it makes sense to go for the people who can, who have, like, enough influence. Like, I have literally turned hundreds of scientists at this point towards treating this topic seriously just because i take it seriously they no longer laugh about it and i don't think that was happening you know even a year ago even with ttsa even with any of this so it would make sense uh that 
I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, but it's happened to plenty of people that are, that nobody's ever going to hear about too. Right. Absolutely. But, and, and so here's the thing, like, uh, looking at the Twitter feedback, if you notice so many people, well, a couple of people, um, got newfound confidence. They said that they're now going to go tweet their own thing. They're going to write about their own experiences cool, and share great. with us. Yeah. Absolutely. That's so one of the they, reasons you did that. But yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. And so I think that if they are intelligent enough, maybe they knew that this is how it was going to go down. That I'll, I don't know, like if, if I want, if I was, you know, running an AI, the AI is obviously going to pick the path of least resistance. It's going to manipulate the people that it thinks will have this chaos or butterfly effect. Yeah. And I think that I was just part of that, that I've been mm-hmm. identified for whatever reason. Yeah, either the other time doesn't make any difference to them, and they just see that this is going to happen anyway. Um, right. I, They're thinking future terms. Maybe you should listen to the interview I did with Whitley Strieber and the one coming up, because we we'll talk do. about yeah. yeah, we talk about this a bit, and he said that the you know from his point of view, um, the visitors know what happens at the end of time. Um, and the thing is what they want is our point of view, or we don't know what's going to happen because that's like a carnival ride to them because they, they can lose that omnipotence of, they know what's, you know, they, they, they can see everything. And the fact that we don't see everything is fascinating to them. That's his point of view about what's going on. I'm not saying it's the point of view, but to me, it's a fascinating point of view. Yeah, that is. I like that. Anything beforehand, like any weird stuff in your life, or was this the first, like, really, like, what the hell? Uh, technically, there was two events, um, but it wasn't. It's funny because, like, I had completely dismissed them, and it was uh, less than three months before this. Other, mm-hmm. other than that, there was never anything. I had no supernatural, nothing. Um, but so um, in November, uh, so of 2018. Um, I went to take a nap and like I was woken up in the middle of my nap, um, with like what was like angelic opera type music. It wasn't in English, but it was clearly uh, like, you know, like this halo sounding. I'm only smiling because I've heard about this from other people many times. That is fascinating. Yeah. There's a whole book. There's a whole two books about it by D Scott Rogo called NAD, the, the phenomenon of, uh, celestial or, um, etheric music or something like that. I'll get you the titles if you want. Yeah. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. Look wow. up D. Scott Rogo and uh, NAD. I think it's an Indian term, Nod, that had to do with that, you know, of Indian, some continent Indian, you know, like you, Indian, um, having yeah. to do with um, <laughs> that kind of mu- music of the spheres or you want to, whatever you want to call it. Um, look awesome. that up. It might, might, it might be helpful or informative for you. Um, wow. I will. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So I, yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> this is, this is great. It's part of like why, we should share, right? It's the information exchange. Uh, we just collaborated on a research project, yeah. right? So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm. So, I, I, what the, what this show does is I talk to people about what they're into, what they're talking, you know, and I inject a lot of what I like and I've learned because that information exchange that moves things forward. And whereas you know okay. I can, you know, and everybody understands these. Things. This, you know, this shit is so subjective. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Deep. And the thing, the weird thing is there's this weird dichotomy between the subjective and objective. And I don't think we can think about it in those terms anymore because it's so damn subjective. So remember when I was describing a superposition? Yeah. And it rules out all logical. So, uh, so it's the same thing here, right? Like, what if reality is in a constant superposition of objective and subjective? So it's not either of the two. It's nothing that we actually can say logically. 
Yeah. So, um, so going, yeah. So this, so with this thing, I, I hear this music and I'm waking completely, right? It's like somebody just shakes you and wakes you up Mm -hmm. and I feel the, not the exact same euphoric, like the intensity, but I also felt like a kind of euphoric feeling. Like it was very nice. Uh, yeah, it wasn't nearly as intense as like the main experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and I like like my entire room zooms out like it like the ceiling gets higher and I feel like falling farther into my head and I look to my right and once again this is sleep paralysis right so like like this is definitely sleep at least it felt like it like it was obvious right. it was just not a it was more vivid but yeah so um so I look up and then I look to my right and I see these uh like an innocent outline it's uh it's these two they look like two beings that were cloaked and i could only see their eyes and the eyes were brilliant brilliant blue like very bright blue um and that's all and i just got a feeling of calmness and comfort and i thought like i i don't i don't really think too much of it i thought that this was fascinating um but i was sure that this was sleep paralysis so like eventually like I, I actually try to I woke myself out of it. I was I was able to like just end it. Um okay. and then the Oh, cause, so you thought it might be um what's it called? Um hypnagogic. Yeah, yeah, hi, hi, exactly. Hi, yep. Um and and so one month later, like in December, uh just before like near the end of the year. I was now in the other side of the country. Now I'm in BC, I'm, you know, visiting family. Yeah. And I go to sleep and I wake up again. I'm waking up the same way, but this time there's no euphoric feeling. There's no music. There's no nothing. Instead, I get these thoughts like, like uh, I hear voices uh, and now I sound like a crazy person, but I hear voices when I'm Everything you've up. said sounds like a crazy person, but that is fair that's point. What, that is what, this is why we are talking. Good point. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so, so yeah, I hear these uh, voices. It's a male and a and a female voice, and they quickly like one laughs and the other one says, "Let's take him." And and I I started like shooting myself, like, yeah. okay, because like I started feeling like I was being lifted. I literally felt that, and I started finding that, uh, and it stops. Um, and and like the voices are gone, and suddenly like I like look up and there's a finger like hovering right in front of my face. Uh, and it's incredibly long. It's about nine to 12 inches long, at least three times thicker than a human finger. So like an index finger looking thing. It it was. Yeah. It's like this, like, yeah, exactly. Index finger looking thing, exactly horizontal sticking right in front of my face. And I can't move my eyes now either. I can only see this thing. And I, as you can see, I wear glasses, very thick ones. Uh, you might not be able to tell, but, um, but here I had perfect vision. It was like my vision got enhanced, like beyond reality. And I got a high def view of this finger. It was very scaly. It was not like a re- reptile scaly, like we see it on earth. Like I've never seen that kind of scale before, but it was scaly. Uh, I, it was like this dark green slash orange and it had a claw at the end of it, like the, this very long nail. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I actually thought that like, I immediately thought that if I had seen this, you know, in the 16th century, I would have considered this to be a demon. Like that was literally, I, I didn't think it was. I actually uh, considered that this might be the real deal. Like I might actually be having a real experience. But again, I, because I was sleeping before, I wasn't that scared. Although it was still kind of freaky. 
Sounds like something's like tapping you on the shoulder metaphorically here until that thing happened in February. I think so. Yeah, you're right. That's a good way to put it. They're like, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I wish I could have extrapolated and figured out, okay, something bigger is about to come. Like this is. Well, you can't. I mean, what, what, what yardstick do you have for those kinds of things happening? You don't. And plus, you don't even know if you're thinking them or if you're dreaming them and you don't want to talk to anybody about it because I think you're nuts. And so I'm very interested in talking at this point to people like like Valet did in the um, with that filmmaker in Witness of Another World. Like, let's just ask the person what happened and how they feel about it. Yeah. Instead of trying to figure out, you know, where they come from or what size the ship is or, you know, how fast (laughs) it goes or anything like that. When it's a witness, deal with the witness on the witness's ground, not on what you think that they're that they should be telling you. Uh huh. Yeah, so. fair. That, that's a, I completely agree with that because that's where the richer data will be, right? Like even if it's right. subjective, you can do meta-analysis and stuff like that. I mean you've already pointed out so many things that you said you've been reminded of this, like you've heard of this before. Yeah. That's a brilliant meta-analysis. Um, so with this thing, I there was Thank points <laughs> where I was like kind of <laughs> scared. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, of because, course. Because like, yeah, I mean it was literally a claw. Like this, It clearly belonged to something much stronger than me. Like, even if it was fake, it looked so real. And I figured, like, you know, I hope this isn't hostile. Like, (laughs) 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 I don't stand a chance. Um, And that's it, though. I I, I got knocked out, so to speak. I I don't remember anything. I lost consciousness. And that's it. I woke up in my bed. Nothing, no marks, nothing like that. And I was still kind of creeped out. And I was thinking about it all day long. Just visualizing that image of that finger. Mm -hmm. Um. And even like the following weeks until the experience, every now and then I would be home alone and I would get scared that like, what if this thing comes back for me? You know, like it, I, I'm now home alone completely. Right. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I've been given no context. I've had no, no communication, you know, and I started considering like my weirdest thoughts were. What if like this actually was what people report as a reptilian? If so, I'm screwed. Like those people <laughs> yeah. scare me. Uh, and so, and so, but that, that was it. Like I try not to think about it, let it get to me too much. And then this happens in February. Uh, and that was just no chill November, right? Like, yeah, yeah. February, but yeah. So, yeah. And that, that started you on this, you know, very, very heavily on this path. Um, oh yeah. I got a total. After that, I just doubled down. Yeah. I went deep into this. Yeah. I got a crazy question. Do you think that there's some retrocausal reason that's going on? That's that that happened. Do you know about the retrocausal thing that uh, Eric Wargo yep. discusses in um, Time Loops? Um, and what he says is that the future is is affecting the past. Now, if whatever it is has is not connected with any kind of time, this could you know you know cause could precede effect. And I mean, I'm sorry, pr- effect could precede cause and stuff exactly. like that. So. Do you, have you looked at it in that, your experiences in that way? Um, I have definitely considered it. Like I have considered that this could be like, I've even considered as crazy of a thought that the, the beings that I saw, like one of them was me, you know what I mean? Like, mm. like in, in just in the future, you yeah. know, like I don't think that is the case though for what it's worth, but, uh, not literally, you know, but as a representation, maybe. Exactly. Like some sort of like my lineage, like, you know, went and survived and like Mm. the human lineage more specifically, not exactly mine. Like it could have been like a human, just, you know, the future. Or, yeah, Um, or your soul or whatever you want to call it. Totally. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Some higher intellect that exists on a different plane that decides, okay, well, what does my physical body 
need to see right now so that I can enjoy my, you know, higher dimensional life. Who yeah, knows? I, uh, we, we need to close this loop here. So let's let's uh, do exactly. what we know needs to be done, which is this thing in February. Right. Right. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> can you talk a little bit about the UIP expedition thing? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I'll just go in 10 minutes. It's okay. Okay, um, I've got a thing here. Who has, whose idea was it? How did it germinate and develop? Uh, did this happen at, uh, did this germinate at the SCU conference? In, 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 not at all. This okay. was, this germinated, I would say, three, over the last three to four months. It's been like, we've picked it up. Uh, but okay. essentially, this was Kevin Day's idea. Uh, it was, it's all his brainchild. He's the one who wanted to, um, test out uh, people's technologies um, and like test it against detecting UAPs and studying UAPs. So he decided, you know, to put together this expedition group. And uh, so I was, I think, recruit 11 or recruit number 12. But um, I got, yeah, I got recruited by both Kevin Day and a guy who's a NASA trained astronaut, Christopher Altman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they both asked me to join. Like I, I thought about it. Uh, I said yes. So after looking at the proposal that they had put together, it was fantastic. So we started, you know, bit by bit. It, you know, we created this snowball and it started snowballing. And but we, you know, found our way to Vice. We found different funding channels. We've talked to some, you know, the biggest investors in the world uh, for this kind of stuff. And there's, yeah, it just. It became this critical mass, right? That like a bunch of people are now um, are helping us just for the sake of it, and we want to open source all our science, right? Like we plan on keeping no secrets as as much as we can. Like other than IP, like we have some scientists who have built very uh, interesting sensors, but the, and that's their intellectual property. So and it has for, nothing yeah. to do with those anyway. So yeah. yeah, for people don't who don't know what this is, I won't just. Why don't you describe it? What what this expedition is and what you're trying to do with it. And then I, I wanted to get into the nitty gritty of like, who's going, why they're going as much as we can. And then really strange questions like, what's your methodology? If you can talk about a little bit, what do you hope to accomplish? What do you, you know, if you get anything, like you said, you know, what are you, what are you going to do with the data? Right. Okay. Um, these are very important questions. Yeah. I mean, um, that's about 50 questions in one question. I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 Maybe just start at the, you know, it's like, what is the UAP, UAP pattern uh, uh, so, expedition? So we're essentially the ne- we're branding ourselves as the next SETI, uh, not just branding. We really are like we are interested in becoming an official search for extraterrestrial intelligence uh, institute, right? So um, it, the difference with us and SETI as it is now is that SETI is obviously completely bent on a debunking UFOs and b uh, looking at like noisy radio signals all day long, you know, hoping to get some. Yeah. Almost as if they want to prove it by saying, we've looked at all these radio signals and nothing's happening. Well, of course, (laughs) nothing happening. You dorks are not going to send radio signals out anyway. No, they're not. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And so if you check the, uh, the UAP expedition Twitter, um, I, I actually like, so right now I, I handle that like Twitter handle. Mm -hmm. Um, and I put out like a, uh, entire like a thread on, why gravitational waves are far superior for communication and why nobody would bother with electromagnetism. <laughs> like, uh, so, yeah. And I tag SETI in it. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. they didn't respond. But, um, so, uh, so what we want to do, though, is we know that, okay, we're looking for these ET techno signatures, right? Techno signatures of other life, even if it's not 
ET we want to know, right? Is there something any, that's uh, not human but is intelligent and in some way in our in, in, impinging on us as technology? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so, other exactly. things like what happened to you, possibly. <laughs> possibly, yeah. Um, we, yeah. I, I mean, step number one is just to prove that there are other intelligences, as you said, like just that aren't human. Um, and so what we want to do is we're going to be going to uh, Catalina Islands, where, which is like a known hotspot, you can say, for the Tic Tac and yeah. other different UAPs. Or the Channel very, Islands anyway. Yeah, exactly. It's a very, like, very buzzing area. And what we're doing is developing a, as many technologies as we can to track and find these uh, UAPs and then study them as much as we can as well. So, uh, for example... The year that's this will happen next year, but we're not just uh, focusing and hoping that we'll find something on the expedition. If we don't, that's it for us. It's not like that at all. What we plan, what we're doing uh, is we've already started UAP tracking. We've started uh, emitting these whale songs and dolphin sounds, for example, by modulating them in light frequency, like using light waves. And uh, what we found was that literally within um, minutes. Our flare engineer, who has $50,000 worth of flare technology and like over 30 years experience, he caught, captured a tic-tac-shaped UAP. And it, in typical fashion, it's defined the laws of physics in multiple ways. It's not doing any tight maneuvers, but there's still so many things about it that just shouldn't be real. Um, and then within 20 minutes after that, uh, he captured a perfectly spherical orb. And it would have to have been massive for him to be able to see it. Uh, and he wasn't able to see it though through his binoculars, which were also IR based, uh, and definitely not through naked eye. And so, um, what we're doing is just trying to collect, uh, and build a database of these UAPs. And we're like, one thing that I'm working on right now, uh, actually is an open source kit so that other people can build their own devices and track these UAPs themselves so that we can create this public database. And huh. we're also, uh, analyzing debris if that comes our way. Has any? Uh, yes, but I would not say that it's something that I would, if I were a betting man, I would not say that this is really UFO debris. Okay. Yep. Uh, and I would say that for TTSA too, right, for now. Like, uh, it's just the whole, the old, like I keep saying, the whole idea of proving uh, alien alloys is just a distraction. It's, I would almost say it's not even worth putting time to. Uh, uh, the, the idea that TTSA has put out, and we'll continue with UAP a little bit here, but... Um, yep. The idea that they put out, at least publicly, that, look, we're trying to find these materials so we can analyze them, back-engineer them, and then patent whatever we've got for uh -huh. private industry and defense, you think that's either a waste of time or not really what they're doing? It's not what they're doing. It is definitely not what they're – yeah. I, I don't – I think um, – You think anyway, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think anyways, right? But, like, what I, what I think is going on is – like they have other plans uh, that, you know, deal with getting Congress um, to hold hearings. But as Thomas said, that won't happen for several years and because it's not necessarily in their best interest right now. And they've tried also like it's actually more that I've seen them try, you know, like I, I've talked to Chris and uh, like I've seen the human side of him. I've understood that like these guys are just people who are very frustrated at the moment that like uh, Chris Mellon, you mean Congress is. Yeah, Chris Mellon. Yeah. So like, uh, yeah, well, they're looking was, at through their lens, which is we were in the government, we were in intelligence, we were in, um, you know, uh, uh, private industry, uh, defense, and that's the lens they look at it through. 
So that's how they're trying to get at it. Exactly. Um, and, you know, there's obvious strengths to that and whatnot. But uh, I don't, as far as like disclosure goes, if they aren't able to produce a literal ET body, they're not going to disclose. Like they're not going to be able to, you know what I mean, uh, push that field in the way that we think. Yeah. So you're trying to push it in a way that's more, um, I don't know if the word's democratic, but in a way that can be used by a greater amount of people in a bottom-up democratic way rather than a top-down, you know, we're going to take care of it, don't worry about it, everybody, we've got it type of uh, government thing. You got it, exactly. Like, for example, you know the uh, Tic Tac and Sphere object that I... Uh, yes. Or that yeah. we, I posted that, right? Like, I, I posted uh, immediately um, as, like, once once someone asked, I'm like, okay, I'll do it. We are like we're we're not interested in trying to keep secrets. We want to get our stuff scientifically vetted, and as many people looking at it and contributing as we can. Like, like uh, with our data, we plan on uh, publishing papers if we find any anything, and even if we don't, that in itself is also worth publishing on. Right? Yeah. Like so. So the expedition is. Um, a few of you get on a chartered boat, you have scientific equipment, you have someone yep. like Kevin Day and a couple other people that were on th there during the Nimitz uh, encounter, uh, yep. both as incident, both as observers. And I dare say it, and I don't want to be too forward with this or say something I shouldn't, um, beacons or baits? Mm. In, in, uh, yeah, uh. I would say that most of us are bait. <laughs> so one thing that like, I'm not going to speak for anyone in particular in my group, but many of us are experiencers. Like the majority of us are, are experiencers. And we're kind of counting on that as being part of like what attracts uh, the UAP. Right. Okay. And we're also counting on intention. Like it's, it's, this is pseudoscientific because I don't have any, you know, technological way of describing it right now. Uh, but I do. It's going to be pseudo until you do something with it that's repeatable in some way. <laughs> I love it. You got it exactly, yeah. and exactly. And once it's repeatable, it's game over, right? Like yeah. that. That we're in a new world now. If we can do that, uh, I um, should sh I should send you a T-shirt. I've got a T-shirt I made. It's got a a Bigfoot, a UFO, and a psi symbol on it, and it says repeatable but not on demand. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that is so funny. Holy cow. <laughs> Amazing. So if you can do it on demand, then it'll be repeatable. But I, I, I would guess that the repeatability will be so subjective as to be meaningless to somebody that's not open to it, if that makes sense. Unless we can, you know, we can deliver, like, for example, with the UAP, it does make sense. But it, like, think about the uh, TikTok case. If somebody had given us all the data Nobody would be bickering about it. Not all the yeah. scientists would be yeah. like losing themselves. So if so, we can do that too, right? We mm -hmm. uh, so we don't necessarily just need to rely on subjectivity. There's a lot of hardcore objective data that we can get with our sensors. It's just right. not been done before uh, to the level that we're doing it at, at right. least not in the civilian world. Okay, I got one. I, maybe one other question, and this just came to me when I was reading and doing these questions. Are we so blinded by our own point of view that it's impossible to figure out the tech objectively or whatever is causing what looks like technical technology objectively? Is it so subjective that somehow that tech is is just entangled with perception to the point where it can't be, you know, what kind of instruments do you use to test this stuff? You know, mm -hmm. and I guess that's proprietary to what you're going to be doing on the on the on the ship there, but. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, some of it's proprietary, some of it's not, right? Like, we're also using very unconventional detectors, like neutron detectors, for example. Um, if you have uh, a fusion or fission reaction, you'll have neutrons just firing all over the place, and you can theoretically pick up on, detect these things. Yeah. So if if in the presence of a UAP, we might actually be able to know if they're using fusion or, or not. Um, we're using magnetometers, for example. Lockheed Martin came out with uh, dark ice as a quantum sensor. It came out a couple of months ago. That's something that we plan on using. And it has very, very high fidelity for picking up the smallest fluctuations in the Earth's magnetic field. So mm. if you truly have a technology that's uh, coupling with gravity and manipulating in whatever way. And yeah, it'll be perturbed phase, in some way that maybe this thing can pick up. You got it. It would affect the magnetic field. And so we don't know if there, we don't know the exact relation or the coupling, right, of magnetism and gravity, but right. we could theoretically detect a disturbance anyways. And how, right. whether we can connect it or not, that's up to, yeah. So, and there's one final, uh, one final trick up our sleeve, um, which is this. We are hoping, um, and I don't mind putting this publicly out there, but we're hoping to get radar jammed because Commander Faber got radar jammed, right? Uh, that's fascinating because that's an electromagnetic um, interaction that we can actually pick up on. We can't, Sure, we can't pick up on the anything else, maybe if they're whatever, high-dimensional, but we can um, at least gain a lot of uh, data from the noise because some people, for example— Yeah, you look at it, it's effects— Right, right. We, we the effects and the noise profile. So right, right. Like in, to jam a radar, you have to generate a noise profile to just yeah throw off the radar. Mm-hmm. And typical terrestrial instruments are truly noisy. There, there's there's nothing mathematical about them. It's not. It's just it's just like yelling really loud. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. I love that. That's a great analogy. <laughs> Whereas imagine an AI. You asked an AI to yell really loud. It wouldn't just yell really loud randomly. It would mathematically pick the perfect pitch and intensity to yell at yeah like and like so, a noise canceling <laughs> exactly so if we see that kind of stuff like perfect mathematically perfect mm, yeah. profiles that's coming from an ai much more powerful than you know normal human tech right uh, in theory and it would just tell us so much about the type of computer on board for example so yeah, yeah. okay um i will let you go because you've given me more time than you said you would and I appreciate the conversation. And happy early birthday. I guess that's coming up on what, the 12th? <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> that's very considerate of you. And uh, have a nice trip uh, wherever you're going. And I think we should continue this at some point. I would really enjoy it. Yeah, me too, Greg. Uh, one thing that the uh, guest gets to do every time is pick the music at the end. So what music do you want me to play at the end of the show? Um, it's a song by Muse. Uh <laughs> Let me, let me look it up. I forgot the word now. Okay, find it. I mean, this is what editing's for. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, it's called Uprising. Uprising by Muse. Okay. Thanks so much, and we should talk again soon, either on another show or whatever. Absolutely. And I really enjoyed having this talk. Yeah, me too, Greg. It was very enlightening.
keep us all dumbed down and hope that we will never see the truth around. Another promise, another scene, another a package like to keep us trapped in greed. All a green belts wrapped around our minds, an endless red tape to keep the truth confined. Switching open your third eye, you'd see the 